0: Thank you very much, Roy. Uh, it's lovely to be with you all. Nice to see you and Renew Fellowship this evening. Um, my apologies that we had to postpone uh, the series of meetings a week, but this night last week I wouldn't just have been so competent uh, because I really had been suffering a very severe bout of laryngitis from uh, Christmas, not well, just after Christmas actually, uh, but especially from the old year out, and into the new year and uh, I've just really recovered from it uh, at the weekend and I'm so delighted to be able to come and Yvonne with me as well to be with you for uh, these a few Wednesday evenings in the will of the Lord thank you for your prayers so very much and for the Lord's blessing since we last met you all and we trust the Lord will minister to us in a very special way uh, you know, uh, when I was thinking about tonight and about the meetings, uh, it'll be less uh, evangelistic than what you're accustomed to when I'm preaching, because really it is kind of a, an informal but a, a teaching type of uh, uh, event, and uh, just taking you through, as we have already announced, uh, the life of Joe. What a remarkable man he was. And uh, it's just lovely to be able to share with you again on uh, this evening. So, what we're going to do is uh, take a different aspect of his life uh, for whatever uh, few evenings we have. Uh, four, I think it is, is planned for it anyway at this point in time. And I hope that each evening will have a ministry to all your hearts and lives. So, let's get ready for the Bible reading, and we're going to read tonight some verses from the book of James, actually, uh, from the book of James. James chapter 5 uh, is our Bible reading to uh, give us an introduction, and tonight will uh, tend to be an introductory uh, event uh, for us all as we embark on this little series of uh studies in the life of Job. James chapter 5, and we're going to commence our reading at verse 7. James chapter 5 and verse 7. There are not many places in the Bible where this man's name is mentioned, uh, but it is mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, and here it is mentioned in the book of James. So, and it's all to do with patience. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, We count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, But let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Amen, and I trust that the Lord will bless that portion of his word to our hearts uh, just now. When Roy called me initially to do a little series that would maybe help us in our lives, Uh, Not long after he called me and I was pondering and thinking about these meetings, uh, my mind turned very, very definitely to uh, this subject, the life of Job. And I haven't lost that uh, sense of awareness that I want to share with you uh, from this life. And if I could give you a kind of a little overview and direction as to where we might be headed, because uh, this is a series that was a rich blessing uh, years ago when I shared it in uh, full-time ministry, and then maybe a couple of years ago again on a Wednesday morning series of events for a senior citizens group of people uh, in Rain. And uh, it was a very enriching experience for them. I trust it will be for you also. But I want to speak under the title each evening on Job the Perfect Man. So I want to share with you under these titles, God willing, Job the Perfect Man in His Background. And then some other titles that we might think about uh, in the evenings to come Job, the perfect man, and his God. Job, the perfect man, and Satan. Job, the perfect man, in his relationships. Job, the perfect man, and depression. It's a very common thing these days. Uh, I was talking to a man in the service I was doing the other evening, who lives in Corain, and he says, You know, regularly we hear the... Helicopter going up and down the river ban. And we know whenever the helicopter is going up and down the ban that they're looking for the latest uh, suicidal victim. It's common. Job, the perfect man and maturing faith. Job, the perfect man and brighter vision. So we may not cover all of those, but we will at least cover some of them. To come to the man Job himself, we need to turn back to the book of Job in the Old Testament Scriptures, following through from James chapter 5. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. We shall just conclude at that point uh, in the reading. Job, the book of Job, is not the first book in our Bible, but it is thought to be one of the oldest writings in the world because it speaks of a man who lived in early society. And we'll come to that in a moment or two. But it's close to the center point of Old Testament Scriptures. Prior to the book of Job, there are 17 books that are historic books, and they cover the history of the the nation of Israel, their pilgrimage coming out from uh, the land of Egypt, especially after Abraham then through to Moses and onward, and then they're settling into the land. And then we come eventually, after those books, to the poetic books. And after the 17 historic books on the children of Israel— or almost 17, excluding a few chapters at the beginning of the book of Genesis, we come then to the poetic books. And there are five poetic books. Now, they may not look like poetry as we think about poetry, but that's because they were written in Hebrew and they were for Hebrew readers. And Hebrew poetry is somewhat different to what we would be accustomed to. But because Job, even though it was such an early book of an early life, more so than David and Proverbs, which was written by Solomon, of course. Because it is a poetic work, that's why it is linked together with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Before we come to the prophet's And of course, as you know, there are 16 prophets, and then you have the book of Lamentations. So if you take those, there are 17 books, and then 17, and then the 5 in between, which of course, when you taught them all up, makes 39, 39 books in the Old Testament Scriptures. So it's a lengthy book, and it sets out the experience of a unique man. Uh, now, uh, the reasonings of some so-called friends uh, figure very prominently in the book, but it has to do with a great trial that came upon this particular man. Job uh, it was a man who had many sorrows, and sometimes it's thought that the name Job means he that weeps. Or again, it's called, it's thought to be the beloved or the desirable one. At the heart of the book, there is a revelation, not just of a man, Job, but there is a revelation of the character of God. And you find that in chapter 5 of James, where we find that the Lord is of tender mercy, the end of the Lord, that he is someone who is very pitiful and of tender mercy, and uh, James is describing uh, not just Job's trials, Job's patience, but he is giving us a, a little uh, a little flashlight into the nature and character of God. Um, the patience of Job and the purpose of God are both major issues in the book. Now, I've read the book many times. In fact, just looking at this Bible from the number of times that I've been through it, it's six or seven times in this particular Bible that I've been using over the past six years or so. But if I was to go back into my previous Bibles, I couldn't tell you exactly how many times I've been through the book of Job. But any time and every time that I read through it, uh, it challenges my life very much. It was a Dr. Marvin Powers who said, The pathos, agony, and faith that is captured in the language and spirit of the Old Testament book called Job all swirl around a bewildering question. How can the suffering of a righteous person be reconciled with both the goodness and holiness of God? And I would venture to say that that is a question that uh, is still a current question at times in our minds. There are times when we don't have the answers to the things that happen in our life, uh, our lives, especially when there are trying events. But you know, if we had the answers to the cross currents that come in our lives, our trials would never be Uh, an occasion of faith. They would never turn into an occasion where we would have the opportunity to trust. If we knew what was going on, we wouldn't have to question why. Uh, We have the benefit of having the book and the first verses of the book, the first two chapters actually, are historical They are a background to the man and his family and what happened. And the last 11 verses in the book are the closing uh, moments and history of all that had happened. So we get a a little start at the, a little bit at the beginning, that's the history, and we get a piece at a section, 11 verses at the close, that are history. And we have the benefit of reading it and seeing and knowing what was going on. But that's not like it is in our lives. And that's how it was exactly in Job's life. He didn't understand the perplexities that he went through uh, Are the perplexities that are common to us in life sometimes, in situations that come in our lives. And I'm sure there are some people here, and you have had events that have come in your life, especially as you get older, and they're more experienced and more years behind. There are things that happen over which we have no control and for which we have no explanation. And sometimes, not always, but I venture to say, there are times when we say, why should this happen to me? When our Emma was burned in 1990, severely burned in a petrol fire as a little girl of 11 and a half, and she bears the scars to this day, uh, our postmaster one day when Yvonne was at the post office said to her, I don't understand why people like you who are doing so much good work that such a thing like this would happen to you as a family. Now, looking back to the best of my recollections, I can't remember us asking why it would happen to us. I can't remember that. But it's not wrong sometimes to ask that. It's not always wrong. We are human. We are natural. But faith is deeper down than our emotions And we come to the point where we say, Lord, although I don't understand, I reach out my hand, and on thy promise I dare to rely. On thy faithfulness. On, as James says, thy tender mercies. Thy pity. He is very pitiful. And there are things that happen, and Yvonne is reading a book at the present time of a couple who are involved in ministry. Uh, Sadly, in more recent times, the wife has uh, been afflicted with dementia, and that has created quite a a difficulty in the family. But uh, they had a lovely boy, their only son, and he was with his daddy at a service in England. And as he came out after the service, this lovely young 11-year-old boy, uh, just for no reason, he seemed to... He was in a newspaper round. Was that right? Whenever he was hit with the two two stories. I'm mixing two stories. But he was on a paper round. That was it. And he got struck on his bicycle and he was killed instantly. And they asked the question, why should this have happened? And the book has just come out; it's hurting, Lord. And then there's a little, a little word. Still, it's still hurting. And maybe somebody here has been through a trial, and you're thinking, Magnus and saying, Eric, you know, this is touching a nerve. This book goes some way to address the issues of God and human suffering. Ray Crooks was a missionary in Jamaica, a professor at Bible College and Kansas Christian College. And he said, there are three key lessons, deep abiding lessons to be learned as we consider the book and the life of Job. First of all, God is absolutely wise in his dealings with us. We belong, my dear friends, to an all-wise God. I cannot see the why or how of things my Lord doth now allow. Could you put this into Job's life? Yes, you could. But this I know my will must bow. Then shall I know hereafter. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hands as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he doth plan. Not until the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. I used to make rugs when I was a boy in primary school. You know you got that sort of uh, grid that you had with different colors and on it and then you got your balls of wool and you had a little machine you put it in and you could make a rug for the fireplace or something. I remember doing that when it was good. But when you look at it on the underside, it seems to have no pattern. But when you look at it from the top, There you see the finished product. And if we could only see, my dear people, if we could only see in life's twists and turns from the top, we would see God's pattern in our lives. There's a lovely verse in the Song of Solomon where we read these words, Come, look with me from the top. Well, one day we will be able to look from the top, amen. But God is all wise in his dealings with us. The second thought that Ray Crooks mentions is, intimate knowledge of God is better than good health. Intimate knowledge of God is better than good health. We have a young lady on our Facebook feed Her name is Joanne Peden. And as a fine young lady who had just finished university and was wanting to go into child evangelism fellowship, she was stricken down as a young lady. She's now in her 40s, early 40s, with M.E. That girl has been bedridden for many, many years. But out of her bedridden condition, where her mother has to do everything for her, they're a lovely family, And she is absolutely devoted to the Lord Jesus. Out of her intense sufferings, there have come some wonderful books. She has written, not her, but she has dictated them. And others have written them. And out of her speakings, there come devotions. And sometimes as she lies in her deathly whiteness, She can sing, believe it or not. And she has a beautiful singing voice. And out of her taking big deep breaths to get fresh breath for the next line, she can sing the next line. But she has an intimate knowledge of God. And an intimate knowledge of God is more important than good health. And during affliction, number three, during affliction, Eternal things come into clearer focus. Job said, I have heard with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth. And sometimes we live on hearsay because we listen to so much preaching. We go to so many services. We have such a a teaching ministry. And yet it's possible that there's a deeper level when in a future day you will be able to say, I heard so much and so much from so many with the hearing of the ear. But it's only because God has allowed something to happen in my life which I would not have wanted or would not have chosen or taken me down some pathway that I myself would not have selected. Now my eye seeth. Lord, I can see. And as Job looked back with hindsight, he could see but he didn't have that benefit on the, on the forward journey. So there's just a little introduction in some ways. There are some notable tributes to the book of Job, which give it a supreme prominence in historical literature. Thomas Carlyle said, This is one of the greatest things ever written with pen." the highest of all literature. Martin Luther said, the book of Job, the life of Job, is magnificent and sublime as no other book in Scripture. Alfred Lord Tennyson, great poet, said, it is the greatest poem of ancient or modern times. And Herbert Lockyer, the great Bible teacher, said, for me, this book has risen above all other books, just like Joseph's sheaf rose higher than those of his brethren. So much for the book in brief. What about the man? Well, I want to share now with you about Job and his background. Here was a man the bible says there was a man in the land of us and i was uh, that that in itself is significant because it really earths down sublime truths into a real normal everyday living human being something that touches earth something that uh, that resonates with me who am a man, or you today, and speaking generically, a person, whether you're man or woman, a real flesh and blood, a real person. Uh, Some people thought that Job was maybe a figurative person, but then you would have to have 3,000 figurative sheep and so many figurative camels and so many uh, ghostly donkeys as well. So he was a real man. There was a man. Thank God for that. And God speaks about a man, and he puts a lot of information into a very brief account. There was a man in the land of Uz. Now I've heard people talking so recently and they talk, you know, about us, us, we, uh, and I thought, oh, those people must come from the same country as Job. Well, you say, well, where was us anyway? Well, you'll find us mentioned in the book of Lamentations. And in chapter 4 of Lamentations, in verse 21, it says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwellest in the land of us." So us we believe, because of that reference, Uz, and there are other factors as well, Uz was in the southern region, south of the Dead Sea, the land of Edom, in that particular area. Uh, it says he was the greatest man of the east, east of the, the Jordan Valley. Um, uh, Uz uh, was the, the, the land, was mentioned, and it's thought that uh, Nahor's son, uh, Nahor, the brother of Abraham, had two sons. Uh, very interesting names. One was called Buzz, <laughs> and the other was called Huz, Huz and Buzz. And uh, it's thought that that kind of helps us to put Job into the time frame that he lived. Sometime around the, the, the time of Abraham. And Huz is supposed to have peopled the land of Uz, where Job lived. Uh, Also, we find that uh, before the Lord revealed himself as Jehovah, the name El Shaddai, the Almighty, which precedes the term when God said, I will be known by my name Jehovah, which was a covenant name, the name El Shaddai, the sustainer, is used over 30 times in the book of Joel. So it kind of helps us to, to see where he was in the patriarchal frame. He was an outstanding man of influence, of wealth, and of character. He had a great household as well of people. One of his uh, detractors was a man called Bildad, the Shuhite. Uh, He was a descendant from Shua, who was the son of Abraham by his wife, Keturah. Job had not only possessions... But from what we read, Job had piety. And as I was thinking, pondering over it today, you know, I think as the Lord looked at Job and he saw that here was a man who has possessions, here is a man who has piety, but I'm going to allow Job to go through a test so that he might learn patience. Maybe you need patience. Maybe you have piety. Maybe you have possessions. But you might be an impetus, uh, impatient type of person. You know, the Bible says, tribulation worketh patience. You knew that, didn't you? Romans chapter 5. The development of Christian character. And one of the factors in the development of Christian character is trials. The tribulum, tribulation, from which we get the word tribulum, the tribulum was a, a wooden instrument with uh, spikes that was used to separate chaff from the grain. And now there's nothing really wrong with chaff. Think about it with me. Chaff is an important part of the development of the oat. It's a shield for it in its juvenile stages. And God allows shields in our lives in our juvenile stages in Christian walk. But there comes a time when God needs to sometimes thresh our lives. So that the comfortable surround that's on the core wheat, the grain, is threshed off so that he refines us that he might have wheat, that he might have grain. And the tribulum works patience. And patience is very important. There are two different words actually used for patience in those words that are used in the book of James. And one means trials. Trials. But then in the verse, the patience of Job, it's a different word which means under stress. And Job was learning patience under stress. I think we don't really learn patience until we are put into a stressful situation. And God allows stressful, unpleasant, cross-cut events develop our lives, to bring us on from where we are. And I trust that he will do that in our lives or prepare us for it, even as we go forward in our lives. God's estimate of the man is that he was a real key man in God's sight. He says he was a perfect man, an upright man, one that feared God, and one that eschewed evil. All of that is found in verse 1. Perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. The word perfect, as we find it in Job's life, speaks of a man who was renowned for his righteousness. In the little clip that I did for these meetings, I said he was one of the three greatest praying men. But he was one of the three marked men for righteousness. Because we read about him in the book of Ezekiel. Four times in Ezekiel chapter 14, these three men are united and selected by God for their righteousness. Noah, Daniel, and Job. So he surely was an outstanding man as far as his righteous relationship with God is concerned. Whenever Satan came and I'm jumping forward a little bit in the 8th verse there is a direct confrontation between God and Satan regarding Job. And God said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth." A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. There again, it's mentioned. It's spoken of in verse 1, and it is spoken of again by the Lord in the life of Job. God knew this man. People saw him and made their estimates of him, but God knew him. People see us. They make estimations of us. But who knows us like God? He knows us better than we know ourselves. But it really is my desire that I should know myself as God knows me. Because if I come to know myself, As God knows me, it helps me to appropriate the grace that I need for areas of my life that God needs to yet develop. God knew his man. And in fact, the Lord was challenging uh, Satan to a duel. He says, have you considered him? Why would God say that? To Satan. If it was not an already an issue. If it was not already a reality. Because immediately Satan responds. And he says, ah, Job serves you for what he can get out of you. Do this and this and he will curse you to your face. Satan had considered Job. God knew it. And God said, no matter what you see about him and what you think about him and how you accuse him to me, that he does what he does for what he can get from you, I know my man. He's a perfect man. He's an upright man. He's one that fears God. And he's one that eschews evil. I wonder tonight if there was to be a challenge by God to Satan about you. What would God say to the devil about you? Could he put you on a stand, on exhibition, before Satan say, this is my man? You know something? God had confidence in Job. God believed, and God foreknows all things, of course, but God knew that he could put Job to the test and he wouldn't disappoint him. He wasn't going to allow Satan either to accuse this man falsely, and sometimes people accuse us wrongly. Have you ever been accused wrongly? No matter how good you've tried to be, no matter how straight and right you try to live, there will be people who will accuse you. They misjudge your actions, they misinterpret your decisions. They may miscald your judgments. But does that make you an imperfect man? Not necessarily. God was looking deeper than the limitations of Job's life. Job didn't have perfect understanding. Job, even in the process of all that he went through, said, if I have sinned. He wasn't sure. He couldn't say, put his finger on something and say, well, I know that I have done this and this wrong, and I feel accused in my conscience and reproved by God. But if something has happened, even what I'm not aware of. My dear friends, he hadn't perfect judgment. He hadn't perfect knowledge of everything that was happening. And we know that, of course, from the story. But just because people don't really know you, they sometimes misjudge you. And they accuse you and say things about you. And that's very painful. And not only did Satan misjudged him and accused him to God, as I've said. But when the friends, so-called, came, they misjudged him too. They said, Job, you're a sinner. You wouldn't be going through this if you hadn't sinned somewhere along the line. And it was a great perplexity to this man. Have you been perplexed? Did Job set up to defend himself? Sometimes people get very defensive. You know, my dear people, I've learned that if you live long enough, the Lord will always vindicate you if you have been doing right. Job was a perfect man in his motives. And that's the level that God looks for in our lives. Perfect motivation in all that we seek to do. And the motivation that lies central to our lives ought to be to the eternal glory of God. That God should be glorified in my life. My motives. The word perfect occurs 13 times in the book. And so in the day that Job lived, in the situation he encountered, in the testimony he maintained, I know I'm going very quickly here, in the day that he lived, in the situation he encountered, in the testimony that he maintained, God pronounced him perfect. In Job chapter 27 and verse 5, he said, Until I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. And the word integrity is a mathematical term. It comes from the the, the word integer. And it means a perfect, a whole, a complete, not a fraction. I will not remove. My integrity until I die. I will be a whole. I will be complete, undivided, holy, not of the divided heart, not of ulterior motives. In other words, God had a hold of the whole man. Perfect. An upright man, it means straight nothing crooked or skewed about him in his day-to-day living. And to kind of define the difference between perfect and upright, perfect applies to Job's relationship before God. Upright applies to Job's relationship before people. I was talking to a man the other evening after a men's meeting and we were just talking and they were part of a, a, a little society and then he said, but you know, he said, we had to form our own little society, uh, he said, because in the society that we were in, He said there was a man, and he said there were some unsavory characters, became part of the group, and he said, sad to say, he says the worst amongst them, he says, was an evangelist. A man who lied, and a man who had a very bad testimony before the unconverted in the grouping. And he says we couldn't stay any longer in that society, that grouping. So we formed our own group and we monitor those who come into the group. I wouldn't want that to be said about anybody and I definitely wouldn't want that to be said about me. But sadly, it is the case, isn't it, sometimes? People are not upright in their relationship before men. And if the devil could have challenged God regarding Job's integrity and his heart experience, I'm very sure that he would have lifted the lid on something unsavory in Job's life. But he couldn't do it. Praise God. God knew his man, and he stood by him. If the devil could have provoked Job to sin against God, he would have won the jewel. But Job maintained his integrity and God's confidence in Job was vindicated and the devil was defeated. The word upright also means a yardstick, a benchmark, a plumb line. In other words, Job was God's standard before society, a pattern to follow. He was a God-fearing man. He was deeply attentive to what God really thought of him. And a godly fear relates to that thought. His reverence for the Lord colored his thinking. It disciplined his tongue. And it determined his actions. Those are just little titles that I skip over. Dr. Oswald Chambers said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear him, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Dr. Dale Yocum was a man that Yvonne and I both had the privilege of listening to and hearing, a wonderful man of God who has long since gone home to be with the Lord. And he wrote about the life of Job. Little was he to know that when he started to write about Job, the book that was written was never finally printed in his lifetime. Because Dr. Dale Yoakam was stricken down with cancer and was taken home to be with the Lord whilst the book was still in manuscript form. His wife, after his death, then had the book printed. But they say because Dr. Yochum had studied the life of Job so intensely and had written so uh, extensively about his life, that during his deep trial, Dr. Yochum never questioned God but believed that behind a frowning providence, God hid a smiling face. He said, God wanted to establish early in history and for all succeeding generations that a man can be perfect in God's sight when everything goes wrong, when there's no one to help, when there's no Bible, when there's no midweek prayer meeting, when there's no convention meetings, when there's no pastor to help, and even when death comes in the loss of the sons and daughters, and critics lie and misjudge you, and I've added in this. Think about this. All this on the other side of Calvary, the resurrection and Pentecost. And if God could have a man like that then, in that dim period, relatively speaking, to our side of all these wonderful events, of the living Savior, of a glorious, victorious death, resurrection, and the descent, and dwelling, and abiding of the Spirit, and taking possession of us, and perfecting us out in the sight and presence of God, and working in us to bring about all His perfect will. How much more privileged we are. Better promises, the better things of Hebrews. There is no excuse for us tonight. When we put ourselves alongside the life of this man. The fear of the Lord. God says, gather me, the people, together. I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Here, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He eschewed evil. He was a sin-abhorring man. Anything to do with evil in word or deed was abhorred by Job. He was revolted by it. He kept clear of it. He was headed in God's direction, whatever the cost. And he was headed away from evil, whatever the cost. He was God's standard bearer. Many years ago, I had the privilege of listening to the late Mr. Frank Marshall. And I remember him speaking on Job one time. I don't remember anything else except to say that he said Job's life and the words that are used about him in chapter 1, verse 1. Job was a perfect man, an upright man, one that feared God, one that has evil, he said the word can also mean like pure, strained honey. Dear Lord, make my heart, make my life like pure, strained honey. Job. Job the man the perfect man and his background. So there's a few little thoughts in there that I trust tonight will be a blessing to you. Dear Lord Jesus, thy wonderful Savior, blessed, gracious, Holy Spirit, comforter, abiding presence, make the will and nature of thyself, a reality in us. O thou Spirit divine, make all thy nature mine until the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Help us, Lord, we pray, to breathe the air that Job breathed. And help us, Lord, to live in the level that Job lived on, by the grace of God, make us clean, perfect, upright, God-fearing, sin-abhorring men and women. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.